back to Big Nerdy Questions BNQ Season 2, Episode 3. And tonight, we're going to boldly go where only a few very privileged individuals have gone before. That's right, we're going to be dating the best and worst characters of Star Trek, the whole franchise. But since it's a Trek episode, we had to bring back one of our favorite guests, Rick from Starbase 66, and everything else simply syndicated. Welcome back to BNQ. Permission to come aboard, sir. Permission granted. Thank and you very course, much. The only problem is you now outrank all of us as the Admiral. Uh, so uh, This is your ship, dude. All I'm right. Just a passenger. Okay, good. Uh, <laughs> joining us on this ride into intergalactic love, we have Callie. Hi. We have JP. Good evening. And we have the master of Umox. We have Matt. <laughs> yes, thankfully I'm not in Ponfar at the moment. You don't want to hear him when he's in Ponfar. That's another show entirely. It's called Missing Richard Simmons. Oh. <laughs> oh. That's going to be the, just, just, just keep it at harsh this season, I think. <laughs> Matt, who's our sponsor for this uh, Love Line 2339? Well, Josh, today's episode is brought to us by Jim Kirk's Breath Mints. Jim Kirk's Breath Mints for close encounters of the sexy kind. (laughs) (laughs) I think we have an early front runner for uh, best sponsor of season two. Yeah, Yeah, we do. (laughs) I I wonder if it comes in a yellow package and a super special green package for when you're feeling extra special. Well, the, the the green package is actually has a uh, anti bloating agent. <laughs> it's for when you're feeling gorny. Oh, <laughs> oh my! <laughs> oh man! Rick, you just got the floor with that one. Will you give us your big nerdy recommendation of the week? Uh, actually, the timing on this is quite remarkable because I just finished listening to an amazing audiobook. Uh, the book is titled We Are Legion, parentheses, We Are Bob by Dennis E. Taylor. And the book is 10 hours long on the audiobook, and it really felt like it was only about four and a half. I was blown away by this. Um, the, the premise is uh, you've got a guy named Bob who is a software engineer who just sold off his his small software company for stupid amounts of money. And he is having a party in Las Vegas with his four employees, and they're celebrating their newfound wealth. Uh, and he just finished signing the papers for a cryogenics company that will freeze his head in the event of his death. Uh, and then, of course, immediately he steps out into the street and gets run over by a car and killed. And he wakes up about 100 years later, in a world where corpsicles, quote-unquote, uh, have been ruled as property, they are no longer people, uh, and their brains have been mined as uh, kind of like AI. It is indeed Futurama-y in a way. Um, this dude is us. He's he's a nerd. There are Trek references and Star Wars references and Battlestar Galactica references, all kinds of things all through uh, all through the book. Um, so the... The idea is his brain has been mapped and made into a uh, made into a computer program to run an interstellar probe, uh, and he he has a choice. He can either accept his lot and try to do this and not go insane, or he can say no thanks and be shut off, and he will no longer exist. Uh, and that's just the bare bones of it. The story is 
you might imagine from the title, we are Legion, we are Bob. Uh, I, I don't think it's a spoiler to say he accepts it and, and goes out. Um, and, uh, there are many, many of him made. And, uh, it's just, I, I was blown away by how smoothly the story goes, how, how, uh, and how captivating it was, how addicting the story was. Uh, when it was, when I finished it a couple of days ago, I keep finding myself wanting more. And fortunately, he's got a sequel coming out in, uh, I think next week or in a couple of weeks. Um, but it's a really good book. It's, if you're into audiobooks, the, the performance is awesome. And I, I cannot recommend it enough. We Are Legion, We Are Bob by Dennis E. Taylor. That's a great recommendation. And I've actually, coincidentally, also been reading a book about, kind of about a shattered identity called House of Sons by Alistair Reynolds. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of Alistair Reynolds, Rick, but he's a really great um, British sci-fi space opera, mostly hard sci-fi author. Uh, and House of Sons is about a family that... Uh, is full of shatterlings. So it's one identity. She clones herself into thousands of different individuals who explore the cosmos pretty much. And the story is what happens when a tragedy strikes. Oh, and by the way, two of the shatterlings have fallen in love. Uh, so it's a very interesting uh, take on it. And Reynolds' writing is always fantastic. So it reminds me of, I think that your book might be a little more, a little, funnier than mine <laughs> uh, but similar kind it is of very light questions on identity and cloning and what that would mean so cool yeah so you got two you, listeners you have two recommendations for the price of one congratulations P- pat yourself on the back for those of you who didn't listen to our season one episode about dating in the star wars universe first of all tisk tisk but that's okay we still love you anyway. Uh, what we do in this format is we look at what characters um, would be like on a first date. Where would they take you? What would the conversation entail? Would you want a second date? Is there room for a relationship here? Think like speed dating, but you have a little more than five minutes if you want it with the person. Just a reminder, last season, uh, Matt, Colleen, and I determined pretty quickly that Anakin Skywalker would be an emo bitch, Kylo Ren would be obsessed with his ancestors and bore you to tears about it, Jar Jar Binks would make you contemplate suicide, Jabba the Hutt would make you contemplate murder, and we would all want to date Princess Leia. These are great. Can't argue with a word of that. (laughs) Right. Absolutely. Uh, But now we are going from Star Wars to Star Trek. So, what can I say? I took my Neelix vitamins. Oh, God. He's like the Jar Jar Binks of Star Trek. <laughs> no. Not that either. No. <laughs> Neelix is a great character. What are you guys oh. talking about? Misa, make your coffee, Janeway. <laughs> Misa, I will say, at least Jar Jar didn't try to, try to uh, hook up with a two-year-old. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was awkward. Well, the terrible twos are horrible for dating. <laughs> things I could never run here for one thousand. So we're just going to get into it and talk about. Our, or, by the way, our official question is: What is the best and worst blind date in the Star Trek universe? Now that we have the official business settled, uh, Rick, why don't you just throw out our first character and see who you've got behind door number one? 
Oh, all right. Well, let's let's uh, let's let's save the good for later. And um, oh wow, let's let's uh, let's go with Harry Mud. Ah, nice. Harcourt Fenton Mud, con man, swindler, pirate. Although I don't think he really has the stones to be an actual pirate. Um, and all around loose cannon. Uh, if you look at his wife, <laughs> Stella. Um, now, granted, that was more of a vaudeville routine than an actual character, uh, but it, it's still he his. Uh, you got to think he doesn't do too well with the ladies. <laughs> with that magnificent mustache. Okay. Yeah. That's true. In a, in a hipster-dominated culture like ours, that mustache is going to give him a lot of credit, especially in Brooklyn and Portland. Yeah, and especially when you combine it with that hat. Oh yeah. The earring will make him fit in at Coachella. Yeah. <laughs> but you're right about the... But see, there's a whole episode called Mud's Women. And they're all androids and can't say no. Until they do say no. And then he's stunned. As you are, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> Harry Mud. It's an interesting case because, on the one hand, because he is a swindler, he, you have to imagine he's got some sort of money. So he could take a woman to a nice restaurant... He might try to somehow sneak out of paying for the bill. That's the thing. He'd stiffer with the bill. He would. He would. He has a very high charisma. Um, so he he would. I would be willing to bet he gets lots of first dates, not a whole lot of second dates. I would probably agree with you on that. I mean, his look alone probably makes a woman say, "You know, I'll give this a go one time." Uh, but I I don't see how any self-respecting lady aside from Stella is going to date him a second time. But then again, I wouldn't imagine self-respecting ladies would be would be on his list anyway. True. That's a valid point. <laughs> I doubt that Hart Harry Mudd is looking for uh, you know the classiest lady in in the bar for his first date. He's looking for the rich, older, lonely widow kind of person. Yeah, the person he can swindle essentially. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm speaking of Harry Mudd. I I almost wish. That I think they missed an opportunity with not having Harry Mudd be the person who sold the station Tribbles. Mm-hmm. I feel like that character would have been perfect for that. Absolutely. And they missed an opportunity to bring him in for that episode. But I understand why you know they didn't have recurring characters as often in that time period on, on screen. But it would have been great to have Mr. Harcourt Fenton Mudd. It would have made absolutely perfect sense. Absolutely. I feel like he introduced the Tribble problem in the galaxy just to make a buck off of it. I don't know. I like Cyrano Jones a lot. I, I, That's he true. was he was the you know Harry Mudd is the you know the he's the the, the con man you kind of love to hate. Whereas Cyrano Jones, you just want to give him a hug and say, "Dude, you, you just have no clue." <laughs> he's like the who's that? Okay, JP, who's the guy from The Simpsons that always tries to sell stuff and you feel sorry for him? Ah, uh, it's Gil. Yes, Cyrano Jones is the Gil of Star Trek. Oh, you know, I was right there. I was in the sale. I was feeling it, but oh no, I was so close. Uh, <laughs> old Gil's gonna go hungry today. That was not a very good impression. <laughs> <laughs> I think that people might say they'd have a better luck with first date with Gil than with Harry Mudd. Oh, it, Gil would definitely appreciate you. That is for sure. <laughs> if he ever got a date, he would appreciate it. Well, that that sounds like a possible idea for a future episode. Blind dates in the Simpsons universe. Absolutely, oh, I think yeah. it's going to happen. Uh, that might be the third installment of this uh, of this run. You heard it here first. Yes, you did. <laughs>
if you are listening. But you probably are. because. So, Harry Mudd, any last thoughts before we move on to ne- our next character? Well, we've already muddied the waters, apparently. Uh, <laughs> it sounds like he's not going to be a great first date, but maybe he will be the best pick of the bunch who we introduced. We'll see. Uh, Callie, who do you want to throw into our love connection? Okay, so since we started off with someone you love to hate, um, I'm going to throw out Tom Paris from the Voyager series. Ah, okay. Okay, um, I feel like he'd be a very fun person to date. We kind of get to see some of it with his relationship with Bellana. Um, but even before that, he was kind of a, a player, if you will. He, I, I, I think from a, a nerdy point, his obsession with his holodeck programs would be really fun. So he, like, his idea of a Valentine's present might be designing some really nerdy holodeck program for you that you would like. So I feel like he'd have that hint of romance. Um, but also his obsession with, with, um, older earth culture would be kind of fun. I feel like he would be the type of person to try to actually send you back to the 1990s and see what you miss. So, um, I think it, I think he'd be kind of fun to, to hang out with. I think he'd get a lot of first dates and maybe even some second dates. It just would be a matter of how big of a nerd you'd want to get into him when he actually revealed his true, um, Captain Proton self. Well, exactly. Paris is the classic character who's like, on the outside, he wants to be this tough, rugged, manly man, almost like a Riker. But once you get to know him, he's a nerd. Yeah. Because in that time period, I mean, I'm a history nerd. And, like, history nerds nowadays are, like, think you think steampunk. But, of course, a history nerd in the Star Trek time period is going to be obsessed with the 20th century. Of course. Yeah. I mean, it makes perfect sense. And He's the only person we're going to talk about today who would take you, presumably, to a drive-in movie. On the holodeck, but still, he would take you to a drive-in because uh, he loves classic cars too. And he was Certainly. the only one on the ship that was able to identify the classic truck when they found it in the Thirty Sevens episode, which I'll otherwise try to forget from my mind. Uh, uh, it wasn't that bad? No, it wasn't. <laughs> I just I wish they would have done so much more with it. You know, the idea that they find all these people that almost could have been a spinoff, like these people building that city in the Delta Quadrant, and they just kind of dropped all those storylines, but. That's another The city show. that we didn't get to see. Exactly. That's one of my biggest gripes of that episode. Um, but the one thing with that Tom Paris has going for him is he could use this great pickup line. Hey, girl, you want to try the pilot program? Oh. To, uh, Sulu could use it too, but it'd be, hey, dude, you want to try this pilot <laughs> program? I feel like all of Sulu's pickup lines would involve fencing somehow, but we'll, we might get to that. Uh. <laughs> Touche. Sword fights. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, are we dating Tom Paris, normal Tom Paris, or are we dating him as the amphibian reptile thing from Threshold? Oh, Ew. that is one episode I'd never <laughs> want to remember. Also, he and Janeway technically have kids, and nobody ever mentions that again. What happened? And to they them? just leave them there. What happened? Yeah, to they're just on that planet. Like he got infected with something, or taken over by some alien, turned into a thing. Janeway tried to save him. They somehow pulled their consciousness out of the slugs, but they just left the planet and, like... He exceeded never... Warp 10 uh, with yeah. Janeway in the shuttle, and they became... It, uh, it was, like, 2001, but nowhere near as cool. Um, they went through every point in the universe at the same at the same time, and then hyper-evolved and became these two lizards... Uh, and yeah, then they, they had baby lizards and somehow Tuvok and Harry found them and they brought them back. And of course the doctor was able to reconstruct their DNA in 10 minutes and everything was all better. 
That sounds like a great first date. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like Good a funny Python sketch. Well, it kind of is a silly walk if you think about it. Ooh. I mean, yeah, because the whole I heard Brandon Braga, who's the producer of that or the writer of that episode, he said in a commentary that the biggest thing he regrets is the idea that the next stage of human evolution is a slug. <laughs> They're gonna make a mess in the mess hall. Oh. Well, at least it's not the hall. Well, Riker will clean it up. <laughs> <laughs> And that's our first hat tip to the simply syndicated tradition of the poor <laughs> bastard that has to clean up behind Commander William Riker after his holodeck time. Good God. <laughs> <laughs> you almost want them to program another program to just materialize to clean up the holodeck so they can have their memory wiped. Although, which is worse, cleaning up after Riker or cleaning up after Barkley? I was just wondering that myself, which is kind of frightening. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? I'll bet Barkley makes a lot of replicator credits, whatever, passes for money on the Enterprise, programming stuff for people. Because Riker, I'm sure his programs are just pretty straightforward. It's just, you know, a girl and a a crash mat or something. A girl, a saxophone, (laughs) and a dream. Barkley's stuff is probably twisted as hell. Barkley is the guy who writes the fan fiction that ends up on 4chan. (laughs) <laughs> but it's always Voyager-related. Oh, man. Yes, he's obsessed with Voyager. I think he has a program where he dates every attractive female on that ship and probably half the attractive men. He probably wrote the episode Tuvix just because he fantasized about what it would be like to date Tuvok and Neelix at the same time. <laughs> I just... What, what is happening right now? Uh, I, I, I think Josh is seeing how many of us he can traumatize in a short period of time. Well, I'm going to let you try, because, Matt, it's your turn to introduce a character. All right. I I think I'm going to just go from, instead of interesting and odd and thought-provoking, I think I'm just going to go to flat-out insane. This one could go either way. This could be either amazing or absolutely horrible, but I want to bring in this character because I'm actually a huge fan of the actor who plays him, and that is Q. I knew it. So I asked my wife what her opinion was, and the first thing she said was Q. That's hilarious. I feel like if Q truly had the capacity to love somebody, he would take you on the best date that we can't even imagine. Right? Now, are we talking John Delancey Q? Yes. Okay. Not any of the other Q. Not the Q that committed suicide, or the Q that fought the Q in, in the Q in the Gray. I... I absolutely adore John Delancey as both an actor and a uh, voice actor. So I was like, I have to find a way to drag John Delancey in. By the way, I want to take I want to take issue with this uh, the statement that Q cannot feel love. Q is absolutely in love with Picard. Yeah, um, yeah, I can see that. I can see that too. Yes, I, I agree. Yeah, that's character <clears throat> analysis right there. I yeah. Uh, that was somebody confirming that Q is in fact in love with Picard. <laughs> yes, that was that was the uh, love alert. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Cupid. Q, you have a match on the Enterprise. Oh, that's funny. Actually, it reminds me of the episode of Voyager. I apologize. I'm I'm going to go ahead and make this confession. I I hope you don't hate me for it. But the first full Star Trek series that I watched was Voyager. Before There's nothing wrong else. with that. Okay. Voyager gets uh, way more flack than it deserves. Yeah, absolutely. It's still Trek. And, and Star Trek, even bad Trek, is better than 95% of anything else. Amen. I mean, but Jerry Ryan, that's that's all that mattered for the last three years. And that's 
that's all we, all it needed. Speaking of blind dates, we want to go on, but that's probably a little bit uh, oh, she's probably on my a good little list. too uh, well PG thirteen there. <laughs> There's an episode of Voyager where Q tries to convince Janeway to be the mother of his child. Yes. Uh, <laughs> So that has some pretty good indications of where he his his kind of dating approach and where he would take people take pick up uh, take people out. So um, I'm gonna have to find my favorite scene from that one. But I think we have some some clear examples of how Q would date at least post after he's gotten over his crush on Picard. I'm gonna make an odd statement. Dating Q would be like living in the Family Guy universe with Peter Griffin because everything would be a completely random creation that has no bearing on anything else around it. And you would constantly jump from cutscene to cutscene in life uh, because that's the way Q operates. With with absolute disregard to the to the known scientific laws of our universe. Exactly. Yeah. Or basically the movie Click. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. I'd rather date Q than Adam Sandler. I don't know. Is it Adam Sandler from Spanglish? Because that was the best Adam Sandler movie of all time. But anyway, I digress. Yeah. True enough. I'd rather date Hitler than Adam Sandler. Wow. Ooh. Wow. Speaking of fascinating mustaches. (laughs) He at least had art. (laughs) Uh, Good lord. No. Yeah, I think Matt's right. I think Q could be amazing or horrific, but I think it has nothing to do with the dater and everything to do with Q's opinion of the dater. If he likes you, it'll be amazing. If he hates Mm -hmm. you, you're screwed. I don't think he'd kill you. I mean, he's frozen so people, but they didn't end up dying. But I think, yeah, I think you probably wish he did. Ask the Calamarine whether he's ever killed anyone. Oh, yeah, he did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Details. Uh, sorry, sorry if that was like de- a, a deep nerd dive. <laughs> no, I just, I feel like Q, I also think that Q, the characterization of Q changed quite a bit from season one to season seven. I think full on in season one, Q was intended to be a, a bad, a big bad of the show. But by the end of the show, he's almost the anti-hero. I almost think of him as the Deadpool of Trek. Uh, like it. I like it. Because he can just come in, kick ass, has is invulnerable, and change the rules about everything. And But once he leaves, nobody remembers there's this meta, meta being that can just change the rules of the game. See, to me, Q is like... Every 14-year-old's opinion of themselves. <laughs> <laughs> I can, being in a high school math teacher, yes, I concur. Yeah. That, that's what I think of when I see Q. Oh, I bet you he holds the collection or the record for the most number of selfies across the universe. <laughs> he invented the selfie. Prompt. I'll bet if you could zoom out far enough, the galaxies would form a, fi- a picture of his face. <laughs> Quick question, because I know that we have a couple of Doctor Who fans on this panel. Is Q a Time Lord? No. Kind of, but he doesn't have the personality for it. He, he's far more powerful than a Time Lord. Yes, he, he is sure. far too powerful to be a Time Lord. I've heard that theory before, and I agree with you guys. I think he's far too powerful. Now, James Bond being a Time Lord, that I can buy into. The, the thing is, the only power Time Lords really have is their heart is their, they have organ redundancy for the heart and regeneration. Because the the time travel and space travel, that comes from the TARDIS, not from the Time Lords themselves. Mm-hmm. Although, I would love to see John Delancey play the Master at some point. Oh, yeah. Yes. Or the Doctor, for that matter. I almost said the Doctor, but... I know you're not listening, but do this. They will, happen. 
they wouldn't cast an American as the Doctor, probably, but they might cast one as the Master. They already have in the movie with number eight. So John Delancey for the Master. I say once once Michelle Gomez is done, because she's terrific in the role, but once she's finished, John Delancey for the Master, I think it'd be amazing. And you can even bring back the, 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 the uh, snap the snap effect, although it would do much worse things as the Master. This is true. Uh, JP, we've had a potentially good date with Q, although maybe a bad one. An odd date with Harry Mudd we lost our money. And a date with Tom Paris where we uh, ended up in the back of a 57 Chevy that got a little bit foggy. Where are we going on date four? <laughs> Hold on. I just got to take that one in for a little bit. Like I instantly saw Rose in Titanic when you said that. <laughs> Paint me, Tom. Paint me like your Klingon girls. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm sorry, but... but... As an avid lover of the 1957 Chevrolet Bel Air, why would you do that to such a great vehicle? Why, man? What? Josh! Well, the vehicle has exhaust, and you're going to get exhausted. hey Oh, my God. And that's all the time we have, guys. Good night. <laughs> I'm so glad we're not on a network that can, like, cancel us or anything. <laughs> no, only I can do that, I guess, in Podbean. So please, gods of Podbean. Um, I, I'm actually going to uh, keep it in the uh, next generation time frame. And uh, I, I would like to I'd like to talk about Lursa. Oh, God. Not, oh, not before? Okay, cool. Well, if you get them both, that changes the calculations, doesn't it? Oh, no, I... That's definitely a game changer. <laughs> but just Lursa. Huh. Well, it depends. If you're into Klingon mating rituals, i.e. pain sticks and having your hand bleed when you hold them so hard, then yeah, there's no problem with that. The difficulty with Lursa is that she's obsessed with her nephew. So she's going to be like that overproud aunt that shows you pictures of their kid on Facebook, their, their nephew on Facebook all the time. It's like, see, this is what the heir of Duras did yesterday. See, see this amazing sandcastle he built, and, and he'll just go on and on and on. Um, all of meanwhile, she's trying to kill you with a poisoned cup of tea. Keeps the relationship, fresh. which is which is all really true. However, perhaps Lursa would be looking for something a little bit different than love in in her dating life. I feel like Lursa would make one half of an excellent power couple, for example. <laughs> So, so will she, she be the Beyonce she be like for her Frank Underwood? <laughs> Lursa Underwood. Those are uh, uh, Callie and Matt. Those are both. Those are both very excellent, excellent references there. <laughs> yeah, who's I, who's her Jay Z? <clears throat> I would just like to say that um, you know, if any of y'all are familiar with what we do over at Sin- Simply Syndicated, we are not exactly family friendly. And this conversation is going in directions that I'm trying very hard to behave myself. If I, ha- I, mean, I can put a warning on this one if we need to. If you got, I think you might have some thoughts on the Klingon mating rituals, Rick. Well, it just well. seems to me that Lursa uh, is, like you said, Josh, she's more about the power structure. What what she would probably do is, assuming that you have enough that to bring to the table that she's interested. If you started to drift away, she might just sort of send Bator towards you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could see that happening. I could see them mm-hmm. having some sort of strange polygamous power trio. Or, or even just like, I don't want to do that part of it. You you go do that. 
<laughs> and then we'll sign the papers in the morning. There we go. Well, let me just go ahead and throw together a, an idea for either a power couple or one of the biggest galactic disasters ever. Why don't, and I apologize if someone plans on bringing this character up a little bit later, but why why don't we try pairing up Lurso with Ducat? <laughs> but you, you, you tell me that there's anything they can't achieve together, though. Oh, Lord. Besides, besides peace, besides peace. Is, is Ducat bringing Kai Wen into this at all? Because then it's going to get really nasty. <laughs> well, let, let me ask you something. Is this Ducat before Zayal is killed or after? Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, I'm just trying to imagine how hideous their kids would be. <laughs> <laughs> Are so Klingons and Cardassians compatible for mating? So many ridges. <laughs> it's like a bag of ruffles. That's what be the kids' nickname would be Ruffles. No, it's like it's like the full on the entire assembly line. You're, you're not you're, you're getting more than just a bag out of this kid. You can use this kid to saw down a tree. And we shall name our firstborn Thick Cut. That means so many other things. Be. Anyway, well, Ducat might be the lumberjack, and he's going to be yelling timber. <laughs> that uh, that went in a completely different direction where I thought it was going to go. So well no. done, guys. No, I honestly <laughs> well think though, to your point, Ducat and Lursa together would be frightening. And honestly, it's an interesting idea for a plot they didn't really use in DS9. Because we saw Lursa and Vator a few times in DS9, but Rick, I don't think we ever saw them as part of the Dominion War, did we? Um, I have to admit, I don't remember them being in DS9. I think they showed up once in, like, maybe the first season, at least. It was it was one of those, like, where we're going to throw TNG characters into the show... And they were only in like two or three scenes, but they, they come across O'Brien and they make some sort of snide comment. Uh, I, I forget the episode, but they, it wasn't. I want to say they had business dealings with Quark because, of course, they did. Um, hmm. But I feel like Lursa and Bator, they were treated more humorously, whereas in Generations, they were treated much more like the badass villains that they could have been. Not saying Generations is a great film, but they treated them probably with more respect there. I don't think you needed Dr. Soren. You could have just had them doing a plot, but Soren isn't a bad character. I just feel like Generations, we've talked about this before, was an undercooked undercooked film. Yes. It's, it's almost like... Generations wasn't bad, it was just boring, and that was the problem. That was my problem. I, I also question whether or not um, William Shatner's presence in that film was even necessary. It was a cash grab, honestly. Oh, certainly, certainly. But don't worry, I, I'll be a... Next week on B&Q, we're going to talk about cinematic injustices, and I will be discussing William Shatner's magnum opus, Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. Yeah, and, and if, you're, if you're worried about uh, Rick giving us a, a, P, a PG-13, high PG-13, I'm going to tell you right now, one of my movie picks is going to sit it straight to a hard R for that episode. So... As opposed to Johnny Depp, who, as Captain Jack Sparrow, was a hard R. R. Slap you. <laughs> oh, oh, I've got a great pirate joke, but I'll save it for later. Well, you know that when pirates go on the stage, they, their fellow cast members say to break a peg leg. All right. Yeah, you're getting slapped. All right. Gee, my connection's getting a little fuzzy here, guys. Ooh. I uh... <laughs> sorry. Uh, so now I think uh, Lurse is a good choice, and now it's my turn to bring in a character. We've had we discussed characters from all of them, so well except Enterprise, but there's no really need to go to Enterprise yet. So I'm going to bring in a character that I honestly think 
if I were to have a first date, like if as the dater instead of the datee, I probably would act a lot like him would be Jordy LaForge. Uh, so to bring it to a more normal context, sure, I, as a kid, I always sympathized, empathized, however you would call it the most with Jordy of the TNG characters because I was nerdy, he was nerdy. Jordy kept his calm. He seemed to always like nerdy jokes. He was friends with Data. I would hope I'd be a friend with Data. So I was trying to imagine how Jordy would handle a first date. And we've kind of seen it a few times because he has such horrible luck and love. I mean, between falling in love with a holodeck program and a woman that kind of sort of became a murderous dog in Actonville. <laughs> Details. Uh, yeah, poor Jordy. Um, maybe the visor just doesn't have a good... Um, the visor needs to install some sort of love vision for him. Um, but I feel like he would, first of all, he would fall in love or he would try to date a nerdy girl, obviously. I mean, he loved Leah Brahms because she was an engineer. So obviously he would want to date a nerdy girl. So he would probably take her to the holodeck, but not like Riker. He would take her to see a simulation of Lutopia Planitia shipyards or the earliest construction of the first warp ship or some sort of nerdy engineering milestone they could witness together. And hell, they might even get their hands dirty, literally, by uh, getting greasy and helping fix the ship. Uh, he would talk about how fast his engine runs, and he'd mean it literally, unlike anyone else we're talking about today. Uh, he would talk about rubbing his dilithium crystal and mean it literally. And so, I feel like he'd make a good a good date for Tom Paris. I really, Yeah, I think if they're willing to go that way, I think they would make a great pair together. I, I don't think Jordy is a bad date. I just think the woman has to be of equal nerdy persuasion to him, or else she'll get very bored very quickly. And while she won't hate him because Jordy's so nice, she'll have someone do that call in the middle of the date. That's the get out of jail free call. <laughs> and they will say, look, I'm sorry, Jordy, but my ship is leaving space dock in 20 minutes. I'm going to have to be over there. I'm, I'm really sorry. But man, I'll, I'll call you. I'll call you on deep space. And then he, ne- and then she never does. And Jordy's like, Data, what's wrong with these people? And Data's like, I am sorry, Jordy, but I cannot understand human emotions. And Jordy's like, but Data, please. And then Keanu Troy, sorry, I've worked this out in my head too much. What do you guys think about Jordy? I think Data's got a date with the chick a week later, though. That's the problem. In theory. <laughs> <laughs> For those unaware, that was a pun on the episode. That, that was a very good one, yeah. <laughs> what do you think about Jordy as a dater? I think he'd, he'd do well with anybody who had been rescued from the Borg because they would understand his need for science and, and appreciative of his nerdy ways. Maybe he yeah. could have dated Seven. Possibly. That would have been hilarious. <laughs> yes, it would. Yes, I think LeVar Burton would not mind coming back for that scene. Nope. <laughs> not at all. He'd be over the rainbow for that one. <laughs> oh! <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I'm... I'm pretty much happy with anything that that brings LeVar Burton back into the mix. Yeah. I mean, he would be going back to his roots. Uh-uh. Yeah. Uh-uh. You're, uh, <laughs> you're pushing your luck tonight. I'm going to do a hard pass on that one. Good night, everybody. <laughs> do you think that... I mean, honestly, I love all of your choices so far, but of the five, I feel like Jordy and Tom so far would be the easiest to get along with. I don't know. I feel like I feel like Harry would be um, a good choice in that he's he's a saver because you know he's kind of a pirate. He thinks about money. How much do you think he paid for his earrings? (laughs) 
He bought them. Well, at I took the first him off store. a dead guy. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was a buccaneer. Oh. <laughs> the, the, the problem with Jordy, as I see it, because I also relate to Jordy, uh, especially from my my uh, my youth. Um, Jordy probably would get a lot of first dates, not a lot of second ones. Yeah. Yeah. Just because he doesn't, you know, like like the traveler said, you're a good guy, or not the traveler. It was John Doe. Um, you know, you're a good guy. You just don't have a whole lot of confidence. Here, let me give you some of that. And then suddenly he's he's like. The, the, the woman he struck out with at the beginning of the episode is going to the Arboretum with him at the end. Um, Jordy is, at, at, at least he's a step above Barkley because Jordy has confidence issues, but he, he doesn't try to like hide them by creating this fantasy world, except the, the Leia Brahms thing was an accident. I mean, yeah. It, it, it's fun to make fun of him about that, but it, it wasn't like he created the simulation no. for the purpose of anything other than saving the ship. And then he just sort of like got stupid about it. But, um, you know, Jordy's kind of like this running joke in fandom about how badly he did with the ladies. And I, you know, you can't argue with it, but it's, you know, his big problem is confidence. I think that, and how many of us weren't there in some ways, Jordy and Harry Mudd are inverse of each other in this context. Jordy, you're not going to find a more honest soul than Jordy LaForge, but he has no confidence or swagger. Harry Mudd exactly. is all confidence and swagger, but he doesn't have an honest bone in him. No. I, but I think you're right. The end result is the same. A lot of first dates, no second date. Sad for Jordy. Yeah. Yeah. Sad Jordy. But he's always got data. He, he does have data. Because he, he knows where data's off switch is. Data, yeah. Dating data, instead of having a safe word, you have the off switch. <laughs> Fifty shades of data. <laughs> you know, the, the ironic thing with Data is if he becomes too forward, you can actually use him to call 911 on him. <laughs> does he have cell service? He does have that, that phone inside of his stomach, or did they retcon that? Oh, yeah. Isn't that in the um, – is that Time Zero, or is that the Holodeck Goes Crazy episode? That's that's the one where Data has all those dreams and, and Deanna yes. cake. That one. Cellular, mm. cellular peptide cake with mint frosting. Mm, Deanna cake. Mm. <laughs> Deanna cake. It's the next next best thing to soul-stealing donut. That is that is two times we've stepped into the Simpsons universe. I really think this needs to be an episode, Josh. <laughs> it's going to be. I, I've confirmed right. season three will include blind dates in the Simpsons universe, dibs on Mr. Burns. You know, is it too on the nose to say... That we even brought Jordy into this for blind dates. No, oh, I, I really didn't want to say it. I really just—I I was hoping we were going to gloss over it, and you just had to—you you just had to punch it right I on the like, nose. Huh? I like to tell it like it is. I'm embarrassed that I didn't realize that. I didn't That's, realize uh, it well either. Done. Well done, Callie. That's a wow. You saw that one when nobody else did. So, uh... oh, jo- Josh, just. Uh, I, I feel compelled to say this as, as an actual member of the clergy. You're going to hell for that. <laughs> and our next character is, ironically, Vision from Marvel. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> who would also take you on a very computer uh, technical date. But anyway, uh, Callie, get us out of this morass and bring us a new piece of ass. Oh, wow. Nice rhyme. Um, so I'm actually... I'm going to throw this out there 
and it's a bit of a stretch, but it actually might be a good match for Jordy since he's had such um, unfortunate luck with the ladies. She's still a lady, but not in the organic sense. So I'm actually going to take a quote from the very first episode from the original series. And uh, Captain Kirk says, I've already got a female to worry about. Her name is the Enterprise. What if the ship itself could take people on blind dates? Mm, all of the TARDIS. Ooh, that's yeah. interesting. So, um, huh. I, so Jordy, Jordy could be a good match. You know, he, she could give him all the scientific facts he could ever want, and he could come like just have a nerdgasm forever. Um, he'd also that, take really good care of her too. Right, right. Um, she would know all the best spots. She would, probably would predict where you want to be because she's she knows all the information about you and can just run analysis on what you really want to do right then. Um, she sounds the like time, Major Barrett, which is a plus. Yeah, she she has one of the best voices in the universe. Um, though she might be a little partial to Scotty because he seems to know how to touch all the right buttons at the right time to get you <laughs> get you out of tight spaces. So thoughts? Well, there was an episode uh, in the original series called "Tomorrow Is Yesterday" when uh, the Enterprise computer uh, developed was given a personality, uh, a flirtatious, giggly personality. <laughs> um. I would say if that was true, though, you might want to avoid the Jeffries tubes. Ooh, yeah. especially yes. once a month. <laughs> See, and wonder the, they be cleaning out so much. <laughs> See, the 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 thing that would that would frankly scare the hell out of me about going on a blind date with the ship to include the ship's computer itself is it doesn't just know everything about you. It knows the dark, deepest, darkest thing about you. It knows your browser history. <laughs> it is your browser history. Right. Yeah. That is judgmental. It knows everybody's browser's history, and somebody is bound to be worse than you. It's, I'm sure it's an internet law that no matter how bad your browser history is, somebody's is worse. Yeah. It's probably in the rules of the internet somewhere. I feel like technically the Enterprise has kind of taken all of the ca- captains on their own blind date in some way, shape, or form, because mm-hmm. at some point, they're they're left they're the last person on the Enterprise and has to figure out what to do. Hey, Edward Jellico was on a blind date with Enterprise D. Yes, oh. he was. Fair point. Fair point. And the Enterprise said, "Oh hell no! <laughs> Not in my house. Give me back the bald man." <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's an interesting conceit. Uh, I mean, I have a model of the Enterprise that's behind camera, uh, <laughs> and. Um, I'm thinking about taking her out. Uh, <laughs> okay. Go American well. pie okay. Now, Rick, I'm going to ask you a, sh- a ship question here. Uh, okay. And I heard that, Callie, and now you're going to hell with me. Uh, yeah. I won't tell Aaron. Uh, Captain, we've got a problem with the hangar deck. Anyway. Uh, I mean, that's why there's a shuttle bay on every model. But anyway. Uh, there's one. That's where there's the dinner bill would be outrageous, though. I mean, do you know how expensive dilithium is? <laughs> Eagle Moss will be sending you a cease and desist soon. All right, Rick. And this term is used with ship models. What's the sexiest Enterprise? Oh. Uh, it's got to be the original. No bloody A, B, C, or D. <laughs> she's my first love. She's the girl. She's the one, she's the one that started it all. And... I, I, that's a pat answer. I agree, you know, and, and it's easy to just kind of throw that out there. But uh, my father bought me the Enterprise blueprints when I was a kid. Now, if you all have seen the the original Enterprise blueprints, they're of course not canon, but they're beautiful. It's like there's 
30 of 30 dry and they all fold out they're they're like uh almost three three feet long when you fold them out and they're all all the decks of the enterprise and outboard views and stuff and Matt Jeffries was such a genius when he designed the Enterprise because he was he was a uh, an airplane he was a pilot he he had you know he had been in the in the war as a pilot uh, World War Two uh, but he also designed aircraft and so when you look at the Enterprise it's obviously not an aircraft it's not designed to fly in an atmosphere but if you look at her in the in the you know a side view there's a streamline to the ship. That is not readily obvious unless you're kind of looking for it. Uh, and there is a beauty to the lines of the ship that just, it defies description. There has never been, in my opinion, uh, and I've been around for God, too damn long. <laughs> um, there has never been a science fiction ship designed, in my opinion, that is as beautifully done and as original as Matt Jeffries' original Enterprise. She is beautiful. Uh, and I don't just say that in, like, you know, it's a really well-sculpted model. It's a gorgeous design. Uh, and I I am in love with this woman. And, Callie, I think that's a fabulous <laughs> choice. Uh, and, uh, and the ship makes sense. I've, I'm actually... I'm sure you've seen these, Rick, where some naval um, engineers have modeled the design of the ship in some ways, and especially the bridge on some yeah. of their vessels. Uh, oh, yeah. Like, not so much the shape of the ship itself, although we, we agree that's amazing, but the the rooms themselves, they've modeled structures based off of them. They work. Yeah. Yeah, they have... They're, they're Exactly what you're saying. There have been actual vessels whose bridge has been... You know, it's not like it's it's built to look like the bridge of the Enterprise, but the essential layout, they realized that was a great idea. Well, you Put have the, the captain, captain in the, the middle. center, and they have everyone around. It's almost like the Defiant is more probably close to what they built in real life. Where probably, it's yeah. Closer, but it's the same idea as the original series. Uh, yeah. And it's a fantastic idea. Absolutely. Um, yeah, there, you, you won't find... Uh, you know, there, there have been cool ships. The Serenity is cool. Uh, um, but you know, I wouldn't call that a pretty ship. No, it's pretty. <laughs> no. class is pretty ugly. Um, that, that's you know, point. Imperial Star Destroyers and and Tie Fighters and and X Wings. I have on, on my desk in front of me. I have a little Enterprise, and on the right and left of it, I have a Tie Fighter and a and a, a an X Wing. The the Tie Fighter and the X Wing are great, but the X Wing is based on airplanes. The Tie Fighter, I don't know where they came up with that, but uh, you know, it's cool. But it's not. You don't look at that and go, oh, that's a pretty ship. You go, okay, that's that's a cool design. It's fun. Um, the Enterprise is unlike anything that's ever been designed before or since, and I love that ship. And you guys know I'm a Star Wars guy, absolutely. But I, you know, I I am definitely a Star Wars guy before a Star Trek guy, and I am willing to concede that the NCC. 1701, the original Enterprise, is definitively the most beautifully designed ship in science fiction. I'm willing to admit that as a Star Wars fan. And as a dater, she has curves for days. (laughs) I tore her decks all night long. I mean, when the Commodores wrote Brick House, they were talking about her. (laughs) 34, by the way, the saucer Matt, section. Let, no, no. <laughs> Matt, let me say that 
second in my in my well, okay, third because the Klingon battlecruiser D seven is second. Again, Matt Jeffries, uh, all, yeah. may his may his name last forever. <laughs> uh, I think <laughs> mm-hmm. the Imperial Star Destroyer is like in in Star Wars is my favorite. My, it's like my third favorite starship of all time. Yeah, it, it, it's it's a beautiful design, but it just it doesn't hold up to compared to the Enterprise. It just it, it I mean it's it, the design is just genius. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of geniuses, uh, Rick, it's time for your next character. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, I'm going to go to the top of my good list, uh, and I'm going to say that the top, the best, in my opinion, of this from the Star Trek universe for a blind date would be Hoshi Sato from Enterprise. Oh. Quick sure. question. Are we talking regular Hoshi or Mirror Hoshi? Cause, uh, no, not Mirror damn. Hoshi. <laughs> I mean, Naughty Hoshi is fun. <laughs> I won't deny it. Uh, Empress, Empress Hoshi is wonderful and scary. No, just, <laughs> just our our universe Hoshi. Um, there was a wonderful episode in the in the first season of Enterprise where they go to they they they're taking shore leave. They get to this planet where things seem cool, and so they take shore leave. And Malcolm and Trip go down expecting to score and end up tied up in a basement in their underwear. Uh, and Hoshi goes down and she meets a dude and she has a wonderful weekend with him. And she's completely in charge of the weekend, uh, you know, and, and at the end of it, they're like, maybe run into you some other time. Sure. Why not? That was cool. See you later. Bye. It was awesome. <laughs> um, Hoshi was one of the most real people in Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, aside from the fact that Linda Park is gorgeous, um, you know, she was afraid. And wasn't afraid to say she was afraid, but she still did her job when she was scared. Mm-hmm. And when she was off, she was like, I'm going to have a good time. And she wasn't concerned with any sort of puritanism or parochialism. She just went and had fun and, you know, hooked up with a dude. And when they were done, it was like, great to meet you. Great to meet you, too. Had fun. Maybe I'll see you again. And, they, and that was it. And it was beautiful. Because because mm-hmm. we are so used to seeing that kind of stuff from men all the time, but to see them do it with a with a female character to let Hoshi be the the be in charge of this weekend relationship and then go all right we're done and out of here and have no repercussions it was awesome and, and I love Hoshi and points to the writers for not making for not having any other characters criticize her for doing it exactly. And the fact that it was counterpointed with with Malcolm and Trip <laughs> just totally getting hosed was awesome. Yeah, as as um, it should be. The, the one thing with Hoshi, I always thought, I think I love, of course, intelligence, and I think Hoshi's intelligence is very underrated. Yeah. I mean, to be a communications yeah. officer in the era of Enterprise had to be one of the most difficult jobs on the ship, and she doesn't have the benefit of going to universal translators or computer schematics. She's got to be on the fly immediately knowing how to talk to these people, making her best judgments, and the ship's welfare is in jeopardy no matter what, which tells me she's cool under pressure, she's confident, she can think on her feet quickly, and she has great communication skills, which if if you want a real relationship, communication skills are key, not just in different languages, but she's able to communicate an idea across even when the language is broken. It's for the same reason that I think Uhura would be a good pick for you know different different episode different series sorry but same kind of thing ah what 
You just outed my next pick. (laughs) I'm sorry, Matt. Well, I'll just finish up by saying that I think Hoshi's a great character, and I think it's a great choice, Rick. Sorry, Matt. Yeah. (laughs) I I loved how how well she was at translating. Um, She was very competent, very... I don't know, she reminds me of, like, the decoders um, back in, like, World War Two. who... Oh, like, yeah. Like, um, like, Agent Carter, almost. Like, she, she probably would be a good cryptographer because she can understand how language is represented regardless of the symbols being used. Yeah, and, and I would also like to uh, to point out that I mean, she, she has to be incredibly intelligent, which I, I find intelligence sexy. So, because n- not only does she speak multiple languages uh wasn't she one of the prime people behind the uh the lingua code yes 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 and i'm sorry you know your your average starfleet officer is not going to be able to come up with something like that just saying she's brilliant and she's brilliant she's confident she's funny and witty but she's a real person you mm-hmm. know she's not a superhuman kind of character like to paul or seven she is real like Rick said, it's a great choice. It is. Um, I, I, I think in terms of starting a relationship, uh, she was definitely on my short list going into it in terms of who would be the best one to be involved with more than just a first date. Um, now this is the topic here is blind date, so I can't really you know talk too much on that. But yeah, she'd definitely be somebody that I would want to be in a relationship with. I also think there's an a possibility that Hoshi and Jordy could be compatible. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think she's willing to see past his lack of confidence and see how smart and funny and nice of a guy he is. Uh, I don't. I, have to, I think Levar Burton would come back for that scene as well. And <laughs> unlike uh, Lursa and Ducat, I bet their children would be beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, they would. I'm sure they would. There's, they're, they're only about 200 years apart in age, though. Uh, details. <laughs> That's where time travel comes in. I mean, Data has a 300-year-old head, so... Just, just have Q <laughs> drop him off, and we'll be okay. fine. Yeah. I mean, okay. Q's blind date already went kind of off the deep end, so his date is caught in a uh, Tholian web of possibilities, if you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, Matt, do you want to go ahead and bring Uhura into the discussion? Well, since you uh, since you already outed me on it, yeah. Uh, I, the 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 thing for me is uh, first of all, you know, ignoring the the fact that it's Nichelle Nichols, who I think is just an absolutely fabulous human being, and she is she's strong willed, intelligent, and she's extremely skilled in her work. She, she's a she's a pretty precise person. But she also, she's also, she, you know, she's, she's a lot like, uh, she has a lot of the same qualities that we were discussing in Hoshisato. It, you know, she, she's intelligent, she's kind, she has actual emotional range, which tends to be in short supply, especially in supporting characters in science fiction. And I think she's just a really well, well-rounded person who that, you know, you could act have a great wide-ranging deep discussion with i agree i i honestly between uhura and hoshi i would be honored to have a blind date with either character i think most of us would probably agree with that and she's super attractive sure. so. yeah absolutely that doesn't hurt either no not at all 
I, I, my qualm with her, and it's not with her, it's with um, the way she was written sometimes. I feel like in the original series, it was a little bit inconsistent as to to what extent she had to translate versus the computer translated. And every now and then, it, they would conveniently make her forget Klingon or some other language when she, when it's established she already knew it. Right. And I feel like, she, you know, if they just would have consistently treated her, they did treat her with a lot of respect and reverence, but I feel like we didn't get of a, a good enough sense of how smart she had to be to be in that spot because a lot of people at the time thought of her as the glorified secretary who took messages when she wasn't that at all. Conflating, you, you might be conflating TOS Uhura with JG or the Kelvin timeline Uhura. Yeah, you're right. Sorry, you're right. <laughs> the Abrams films have uh, scarred my mind to some extent, so... Uh, I have to say, I like what they did with her in the first and the third movies. Mm-hmm. Um, in the in well, Into Darkness was just a disaster all around. But uh, yes, yes, um, I, I really I, like I've what they did with her. Benedict Cumberbatch so underutilized as in the well, Abrams first. He totally phoned it in, but he shouldn't have been there anyway. And her actually brings up. I would love for us to do an episode because you know a lot of us have history backgrounds on the intersection of civil rights and nerdy franchises at some point, because I know, for example, Uhura was approached by Dr. Martin Luther King to keep playing her role. Yeah, she was going to quit. Exactly. And he told her, don't. Yeah, so there's that. There's the interracial kissing scene in Star Trek. There's the X-Men franchise. It's a clear, as Matt's established, a clear parallel to the civil rights debates of the 60s and 70s. I would love for us at some point to do a deep dive into the intersection of civil rights in a uh, nerdy franchises. Oh, I'm so in on. Let's I'm do it. so in for that. Let that be your last battlefield. There you go. I'm I don't know. I swear. I swear. Storm is an ancestor for Ahura. That would be so cool. That would be amazing. <laughs> oh my God, that Can we make that canon, please? <laughs> do we know Storm's actual Head name? Accepted. Her name. <laughs> Because if, if her name is Neota, then we would have it confirmed. It's, her, it's her like Aurora. Aurora. It's Aurora. O-R-O. Yeah. It's close oh. enough. Aurora. Yeah, there's, and, there's R's uh, in multiple vowels, yeah. It, it, it's... it's uh, oh, she's Welsh? It, it's three <laughs> O's, two R's. Equal intervals. Wow. That's why she's always called Storm. Yeah. <laughs> I can imagine a film called Aurora not doing so well at the box office, unlike Logan. Well, both characters are fluent in Swahili. I would like to point that out. That is true. Tell do me. we know, a little bit of trivia, Rick, do we know what part of the Earth Uhura hails from? Do we know that? We do. I don't know it offhand. I think it's I think the United, something like the United States of Africa or something along those lines. Okay. But she, she's definitely African, yeah. So like, they've, they've so established like Africa as a united country in the 2300s? Yeah, yeah it's, it's something along those lines. Fascinating, as a friend might say. Um, we haven't had a Vulcan yet I wonder, will JP change that? JP, who is your next candidate for the dating game? Well, I I guess in the spirit of giving the people what they want why don't we, uh, why don't we talk about Tuvok? Yes! Hmm, okay Not where I thought you were going, well done (laughs) Yeah (laughs) Well, we know that Tuvok had a relationship was married, right? Yeah, he Mm kissed So he's obviously a faithful guy. JP, what do you think about Tuvok as a dater? Um, 
it would take a lot. I mean, true of any Vulcan, it would take a lot to get someone interested in a second date with a Vulcan who, you know, you, you give him a kiss goodbye and he says, well, that was pleasurable. Or (laughs) you ask him how the food is and the food is edible. (laughs) You know, query. Very concise. Um, JP is for, for Tuvok. Two questions. One, mirror or prime? And two, Ponfar or no Ponfar? <laughs> do, do I even have to answer those questions? Obviously not mirror. You are a Vulcan man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Sorry. <laughs> the genius of Robert Picardo. Yes. <laughs> Uh, okay, um, not mirrored, and uh, Ponfar does exist, so it has to be a possibility. Okay. Now, if you're a human dating a Vulcan, obviously humans typically desire a more frequent Ponfaring than every seven years. Is a Vulcan capable of fulfilling that need, or must they only copulate every seven years? Like, inducing Ponfar? Like, Rick, do you know the answer to this? I do not. I haven't really pondered it that far. (laughs) Um, I I guess we have evidence with DePaul that maybe she can with with Tucker? Well, the thing is, we've we've seen with uh, Sarek um, that while he won't say it openly, he does love Amanda. Yes. I would imagine that the equipment works whenever they want it to. It's just the drive to mate only coincide with Ponfar. I would think that a Vulcan who would marry a human woman would be something of aberration anyway. Um, yeah. And, and I, I use that term in the broadest possible sense. Not that I think we have any Vulcans out there who are married to humans who are going to be offended. <laughs> but, <laughs> Um, well, I, mean, I, I, I can hear the angry emails already. <laughs> well, they're not really angry because they're Vulcan. They're more yeah. I was gonna say I can hear the the uh, the mildly annoyed emails coming in already. <laughs> the fact that you mentioned Tuvok, one of the things I loved about Tuvok is that uh, he described himself, and I don't remember what the context was, but in in Voyager he described his his race as dispassionate, not emotionless. And we have seen we have seen new, uh, enough uh, enough uh, supporting evidence to say that Vulcans are not without emotion. They are in control of their emotions, and they are, as Tuvok put it, dispassionate. Uh, but if we look at you know, and we one of my problems with Enterprise was the way they dealt with the Vulcans. But we have to accept that it's canon because it was it was shown. So the Vulcan embracing of non-emotion was not as ancient as we were led to believe in every other series <laughs> before Enterprise. Um, and so I, I could see that a Vulcan who would fall in love with, quote-unquote, uh, or see the logic in, if you want to, uh, marrying a human woman uh, or consorting with a human woman, in, in the case of T'Pol and Tripp, um, and they got married, sort of, kind of. Well, they, they, they got married off-screen and then Tripp got killed. Sorry, spoiler for a crappy ending to a semi-good series. Yeah. Um, I th- I think that you know I'm sure that a Vulcan would see the logic in keeping his human mate pleased, yes. whether or not he slash she was 
quote unquote into it or not. Uh, so I'm sure that the, you know, I, I, I'm sure that while the drive to reproduce is a seven year cycle, the ability to do it probably is not. Which would make Tubac an eligible choice. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But I think to, to, to step back a minute, would Tubac even agree to take someone on a first date? If he didn't see that this would become some sort of long term relationship, would he even bother with such a frivolous activity? He would during Ponfar. Well, yeah. That's why I asked. That's true. Because if he's not in Ponfar, he's gonna he's gonna be completely disinterested. But during Ponfar, he'd probably be like, "Let's do this." Now, am I remembering right that in in Voyager they attempted to use a hologram, a holograph, a holodeck simulation, and it didn't work? That's correct. Yeah. I believe that someone did have to mate with him, but I don't remember who it was. I don't remember who, but I do remember that Belana Torres got somehow got tied up into it and also went into Ponfar or something, and then like that was the beginning of her and Tom Paris's relationship. Good God, Voyager was convoluted sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I was going to bring in the doctor from Voyager, but then I realized we've seen him have a blind date a couple of times already, and Robert Ricardo yeah. is just a genius. So I'm going to bring another one of my favorites, and in honor of Rick, because Service 66 has had the actress who played this character on, and she's amazing. I'm going to uh, talk about Kalar. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we had a Klingon woman earlier, but I feel like Kalar is the positive side to Lursa's not-so-positive side. Kalar is a strong, attractive woman, uh, incredibly smart, a diplomat. Uh, she knows what she wants. She will make sure she gets it, but she's also still willing to talk to people and is friendly, but she ended up killed. Uh, so that's yeah. not a very good thing. But, you know, House of Duras, as they, as they do. But I feel like if I'm going to date a Klingon woman between Kalar, Balana, and Lursa or Bator, of the four, Kalar would probably be the, the one I would pick. Uh, Balana second, and then Lursa and Bator somewhere with Dr. Soren and the Nexus far, far away. Um but I think that a blind date with her would be trying, depending on how she did it. See, unlike other Klingons, though, while she can acknowledge Klingon customs, if she was truly interested in someone who wasn't Klingon, I don't think Kalar would force the pain sticks and the blood onto somebody. I could be wrong. Well, Kalar is half – she's only half Klingon. That's right. So I, she wouldn't force that on somebody. Uh, I, I think that she'd be much more willing to uh, – to compromise on, on some of those otter points of Klingon romance. I, I feel like dating Kalar, we didn't see that much with Kalar and Worf because that relationship was criminally undercovered. Yes. Um, uh, but what we saw with Worf and Jadzia, when they courted, there were Klingon elements, of course, like the, the bachelor party was actually those trials in the hollow suite. <laughs> yeah. uh, so we, we saw a few Klingon things, but it's not like Worf forced Jadzia Dax to do all the pain rituals of a Klingon bride. So I think we had a, a kind of a, a view into that in that relationship. So I think a blind date with Kalar, if you're the kind of adventurous type, I think that she might be the kind of person who would take you to rock climbing or some sort of physical activity, take you to dinner and have a discussion on the finer points of geopolitics. And, then and uh, you. There you go from there. 
I think it'd be a pretty nice date. What do you guys think? I think Kalar would agree to the date if you intrigued her. And halfway through dinner, if you did not keep her interest, she would just stand up and say, nope, and leave. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) However, if you did intrigue her, you would wake up the next morning in a lot of pain with a grin that would be very difficult to remove. I believe the John Mellencamp classic Hurts So Good comes to mind. (laughs) Yeah. I got nothing. That, that, that was very well put. <laughs> so yeah, um, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to fire off a few quick fire characters since we're running a little bit long, just to get you guys uh, consensus opinion on these characters. All right. So I'm going to come to you. This is like we did Thor's hammer. I'm going to come to you quickly and you tell me if the date would be good or bad and just real quickly why. So I'll go around the panel first, Matt Sulu. Uh, Sulu would be an absolutely excellent blind date because he, he's going to want to do something physical and adventurous, either related to, most likely related to something along the lines of fencing. So you, it might be, you know, dinner and then going to watch a fencing match. I think it would be a good date. Callie, Jane Wing. Oh, um, yes. And actually, no, she'd probably make a horrible date because she'd be obsessed with her ex-boyfriend back on her. <laughs> but Rough as read from Orange is New Black, yes, she'd be an excellent cook. Well, there you go. <laughs> uh, Rick, Kieran Reese. Oh, wow. Uh, if you were a powerful diplomat, sure. If you were anyone else, no. Fair enough. I agree. <laughs> uh, JP, Wesley Crusher. You better not say SpongeBob. Wesley Crusher. <laughs> <laughs> I give you the SpongeBob of Star Trek. Wesley Crusher. <laughs> you absolutely did, didn't you? Uh, what was a crusher would be a very fun first date. He he would uh, he would want to go do something very interesting. He'd show you how smart he is. He'd teach you something you didn't know. You'd have an excellent conversation with him. Um, he he might not be interesting enough for a second date, but you'd at least have a good time with him. It's just a crusher. Nice job, Callie. <laughs> uh, we'll go one more round around the bin, uh, and I'll start with you, Matt, Commander Riker. With or without the holodeck? He can take her to the holodeck with her consent. I'm going to say starts out good, ends poorly. Because I, 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 think, I think he would start out well, and things would be going along well, and he would like find a way to just push things a little too far. Yeah, and all Probably that Probably in the holodeck. <laughs> Callie, uh, seven of nine. Oh, before or after they heard dating tips from the doctor? After. We'll give the doctor some credit. Um, I think if she can snag Dakota, she's probably going to make a good date. And if she keeps wearing that suit, I think everything will go just fine. <laughs> probably true. Indeed. Indubitably. <clears throat> Rick. Trelane. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh, God. Worst first date ever. Uh... <laughs> He would never stop talking about himself. He would always be looking at himself in the in the, the glass of the of the, the front of the restaurant or in any passing reflective surface. Uh, and anytime you tried to turn the the conversation around to yourself, he would yawn uh, or just say "boring" back to me. Uh, yeah, no, bad. bad He'd be like bad. dating the current president. 
or well, I almost said worse, but no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, and because Jay- Trelane has a little bit more panache. That's true. Ooh. Panache is important. It'd be entertaining, but you would leave you would leave ultimately unsatisfied. And JP, the last one goes to you. I think you know what it's coming. Cork. Who? Cork. <laughs> No, that's that, that's my answer, because any blind date with Quark is going to end up with you waking up, not remembering what happened, but your wallet's gone. <laughs> <laughs> and I have one final thought. Deanna Troy, because she could tell if the date was going well and act accordingly. Fair enough. Okay. But yes. after a while, you'd get so tired of being an Imzadi. Can I, can I say one more honorable mention? Sure. Core. <laughs> because you would not get a second date, but when you turned him down, he would say, too bad. It would have been glorious. <laughs> I'm just surprised nobody so, brought up Kirk and all the STDs you would catch from him. Yeah, that's true. Well, honestly, and there's a reason for this, and Rick is here so I can announce it to our listeners. This season, we're going to hit episode 50. And in episode 50, with Rick's blessing, of course, if, if, uh, if, avail- if you're available, we would like to have you back on the show for Kirk versus Picard. Oh, oh. No, you that, want it. Uh, yes, I will, I will do this. Yes, so <laughs> we didn't discuss Kirk or Picard yet, but when we get to episode 50, I want our milestone episodes to be the true questions that nerds ponder over all the time. And our first milestone episode will be about the Star Trek captains. Uh, but to wrap up this episode, of everyone we mentioned tonight, who are you taking out to your local restaurant of choice tomorrow night? Callie, who's in the booth across from you? Uh, definitely Hoshi. I mean, hands down. Intelligent, sexy, um, and valuable to the Enterprise. Yeah, your hands will be down, all right. Oh. <laughs> Hailing frequencies up and everything else up to you. Oh my god. <laughs> Matt, I, I, who's, no comment. Matt, who is with you on the Ferris Wheel of Love? I I I I, I gotta give it to my man girl Uhura. A fantastic choice. And so far no one's dating the same person, so we don't have to have uh Thunderdomes yet. Uh mm-hmm. will that change with JP? Uh it, it's a tough choice between two, but I'm going to have to say to Paul. Interesting. You want the, the logical dater. You know, that's not an illogical choice, sir. <laughs> Rick, who are you taking on the tunnel of Star Trek love? <laughs> uh, I'm going to, I'm going to step up and say seven of nine because someone needs to actually take her up on the remove your clothing comment. <laughs> <laughs> Where Harry Krim was afraid, I'm going for it. At first I was afraid. I was petrified. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder how much Garrett Wong thinks that Harry Kim's decision was idiotic. Have you ever heard Garrett talk about his time on Star Trek? He doesn't like it very much. No. uh, I'm sure he has an opinion about that. As does Jerry Ryan, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) Uh I was I was going to go with Hoshi, but uh, Callie already snapped her up, and uh, I'm not going to be a play-a-hater, uh, so I'm going to date Kalar. Awesome. 
I, I like that choice. I'll too. send flowers to your funeral. <laughs> it will be glorious, sir. <laughs> Today is a good day to die. It is. Yes. <laughs> we went to Starbucks, and after that, I have no idea what happened. But my God, <laughs> I have pulled muscles I didn't even know I had. Okay. <laughs> This, this may be like a bit uncool, and you're you're welcome to edit this if if you want. But I've actually taken Susie Plaxon to Starbucks. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> she seems like the most awesome person ever. She she is incredible. I uh okay. Let's let this sound like way more cool. Well, okay, no, it was really awesome. <laughs> um, you know, I, I I interviewed Susie on my show. And we interviewed, she was on the show a couple of times and then she and I have just sort of stayed friends on Facebook and, and, uh, and through email. And then she was coming to a convention in Tampa. I live in St. Petersburg. I teach at a school in St. Petersburg. She contacted me and said, I'm going to be in Tampa. Would you like me to come and teach your students, uh, uh, you know, do a class on auditioning? And I talked to my colleagues and we were all like, hell yeah. (laughs) Um, and so I got to spend the day with Susie. And, you know, I, I, wow. I met her, I met her at a hotel and then we went to Starbucks and just hung out for a couple hours, just getting to know each other. And then she came to my school and taught the class. And then, and then I took her back to her hotel. So I got to spend the day with Susie and she was, you know, I was, I was a nervous wreck. Uh, I was like, this is going to be, I, I, I'm just going to be like, <laughs> and, you know, like, I, I, you're like, do, do I hug her? Do I shake hands? What? And the minute she saw me, she just, she, okay, she's six feet tall, first of all, and she's wearing freaking heels. So she's just enormous, red hair, gorgeous, and she just crushes me in this hug. And everything just was great from that on, from then on. Um, How's your muscles feel afterwards? <laughs> I, I, I felt a little inadequate. <laughs> Um, she, she's just a, a really wonderful person. And, uh, and, uh, I, I, now that the Starbase is back, I've got to get her back on the show. That um, is fantastic. I want, I want to listen to that. I mean, that's, if you talk to her again, tell her that us little B and Q podcast loves everything about her and as an actress. So, uh, she's fantastic. Uh, I will. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, um, I think our moment like that so far is getting to meet with, uh, Eric and Julia from the X-Men animated series. We interviewed them, uh, the creators of the X-Men animated series over Skype, and they still talk to us through Twitter all the time. Earlier today, I asked them what it would be like to do a medieval X-Men show, and they loved the, the idea. Uh, cool. So well, they're going to come back on the show when they have time permitting later this season. So that's kind of our equivalent so far. Awesome, um, yeah. But it's... That, you know, it's stuff like that that makes podcasting... Worth it because it's like we're we're sure as hell not making money. <laughs> oh no, no. Um, but it's worth it. It is worth absolutely. It. From from the one of the best podcasters I know that that means a lot. So thank you, Rick. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> uh, to end such a debaucherous show on such an uplifting note. <laughs> uh, but now that we've chosen our dates, we have to bring it back to the gutter a little bit. Matt, kill off the gungan for us. Make it. <laughs> well, Josh. Today, Jar Jar Binks met his end at the hands of a Vulcan. See, Tuvok was unfortunately forced to kill Jar Jar Binks for, um, shall we say, interrupting Ponfar-related activities. <laughs> Misa so pointy! Duncan, Duncan interruptus. 
<laughs> this is your Jar Jar Death of the Week. So you're saying Tuvok had an unintended Naboob job? Yeah, I'm slapping you the next time I see you. <laughs> God. See, this episode had the same trajectory as an episode of South Park. It was all in the gutter. We had that one moment of levity where we learned something today, and then it ended on a horrible joke again brought to us by Eric Cartman. Wait, did we learn something? We learned that Susie Plaxton is effing and phenomenal. Okay, yeah, that, yeah that, that's our high point. <laughs> that's Thanks, our Rich. only positive from this episode. Otherwise, it's just been a slog through hellaciously debaucherous comedy. Funny, but we're all going to hell except Rick because he's our guest. Yeah, oh, I'm already there, so, yeah. <laughs> it is too late for me, son. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, are you quoting Alexander Roshenko? No, um... Uh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, Rick, thank you so much for coming back to B&Q. It has been our pleasure to have you back on the show, and we hope to have you back again for the big Kirk versus Picard Milestone 50 episode. Oh, thank you so much. I have had a, had a great time, and I look forward to coming back. Awesome. And, of course, thank you to Callie, Matt, and JP. Absolutely. No problem. Live long and prosper. Absolutely. And this is Josh saying, if you're looking for Pon Far in all the wrong places, you might be a red shirt. Good night. <laughs> <laughs> Good night, everybody. <laughs>